Welcome to No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today, we have a very special guest from Washington, D.C., our national capital of the United States of America. Chocolate City. That's what they call it. That voice and background, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, what up, what up, what up? It's your boy, G. Well, we got my man... G here. Uh, I've known this man for almost 20 years. 20 years. That's a long time. That's a very long time. Uh, it's funny how we met. Um, I had never met a black person from New Hampshire. <laughs> and um, he was, uh, we were playing football on a field. And they're like, oh, you can cover this guy from New Hampshire. Oh, black dude? No, he, he's probably sorry. <laughs> And he threw a 50-yard bomb on me, <laughs> and I was looking at the back of his uh, shoes, needless to say. Oh, I was so quick back in the day. So, so quick back in the day. He didn't tell me he played football. So, uh, <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I was on the team. I wouldn't say I played that much. <laughs> so, yeah, we go way back um, to there. But uh, more importantly, we uh, it's funny. I-, I knew him as a guy who was probably one of the smartest people that I know. Um, I appreciate that. One of the smartest people, I would say. Uh, and I've heard that from more than one person. I appreciate uh, that. People who you would never expect to hear from. But, uh, <laughs> but we they can cover that on the next podcast. Yeah, that's the next okay. podcast. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to bring you on today because in college, I knew you as the next Bob Costas, the next Mike Tirico, uh, you know, Marv Albert, you know, all these famous alums from this famous mm-hmm. university. I'm not going to name university because I don't want to get sued. <laughs> but uh, that's what you what you want to do. I remember you going to a TV station, doing editing, doing all that good stuff. And yep, that was your gig. And everybody was like, oh, he's going to be on TV. This guy is going to be the man. I'm like, yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to jump on his coattails. So I'm going to be one of his groupies. <laughs> I remember interning in college and I would have to walk. About an hour to get to the TV station because I didn't have a web and didn't have a cell phone, didn't have a computer, just to give you a sense of what college was like when we were there. And I remember I would put together the whole newscast like that was my thing. Like the school I went to was really, really prestigious. They said 93 percent of graduates get a job within a year. That was their sales pitch in this school. Remember that quote? 93 percent. 93%. And so you were like, and I was already interning at a TV station at the time. And I was like, I just need to get that first job wherever it is. And I'm good. And I remember I had to interview in the most random places to try to get a job. I interviewed in Omaha, Nebraska, (laughs) Laredo, Texas, Norwalk, Connecticut. Laredo is next to the border, correct? Yeah, it's it, it's it's on the coast. It's 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 close to the border. And you had to not on the fly yourself there. Uh huh. Your own money. Uh huh. Okay. I, I'm I'm pretty sure I borrowed from my parents at the time. <laughs> and I remember, like, when we first graduated, you you had a job right out of college, and there was a couple of people who had jobs right out of college, and then there was a bunch of us who had to like figure it out. And I must have looked for like a year probably a solid year, year and a half to find a job in news. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate the assist there. In the background, we have our guest, uh, 
but that's what that's neither here today. Yeah, yeah, he'll be chiming in from time to time. He'll have his own podcast. <laughs> yeah, man. So a whole year, no job. Yep. 93% gets a job. And again, folks, I, I just want to reiterate, this is one of the smartest people I know. So for him to not have a job, that baffles me. It, it was real. I was cooking at a restaurant making $9 an hour. Cause I just I took whatever job I could take because that's what you got to do to make money. But I was like a cook, frying fish with a college degree, and like mentally, how did that how how did that work on your psyche? Were you living back at home? I was back at home. So I had to live back at home. How does that wear on your psyche? You just went to a great school, great education, great place where broadcast journalism number one or two depending mm-hmm. on the year. And you're flipping burgers, cooking fish. <laughs> like, how how does your mindset? Where are you? Where are you? Tell, explain to us. Where is your mind? You know, it's where it's it's a little deflating. You you feel bad for yourself, right? You see people doing big things, uh, particularly when you thought you were going to be doing big things out the gate. You were going to get that fancy job and be able to show off, and you don't have fucking health insurance. You living at home. When you want to like go on a creep, you always got to go to her place. <laughs> like I was like, this is not how I'm supposed to be living right now. But it's like you get backed in a corner and you're always like, okay, okay, okay. I can figure this out. I know that I have some capabilities in me. What can I do? And I remember I interviewed for a job in Connecticut that I did not get. And at that point I was like, this ain't working. I need to try something completely different. <laughs> so... I want the listeners to understand this school that we're talking about, about 50K a year during that time period. Yep. All right. Now, compared to now, but about 40, 50K private institution. So that's 200, 200K. Mm-hmm. And it's not working out. Yep. And at this point, I'm still deferring those loans because I'm like, I don't make enough to start paying them back. So what was your next move? Oh, I'm trying to think of when this was. So this must have been like 2005. I was like, and I don't even remember when I told you, I can't even remember that conversation, but I was like, I'm going to do something drastically different. I'm going to try to join the Navy. And I tried for a year to get <laughs> sorry, into sorry. the Navy. This was like, a, I was going to do Naval Intelligence. I had it all mapped out. I got real gung ho about it. I had to lose like 50 pounds. And I was all about it. I was like, I'm going to do the Navy, and then I can get out in four years. It'll look good, and I'm going to go out and doing some big things. And how'd that work out? <laughs> I lose all this weight. I go to take the physical because you had to, like, I think I had to be 167 pounds to, like, get in. And I failed the hearing test. And the doctor there was, like, looking in my ear, and he was like, it looks like you got some earwax. Go to a doctor, have it taken care of, come back, take the hearing test. Cause you can't get in if you fail the hearing test. So I go to a clinic cause I didn't have health insurance. And I just remember this, this doctor was digging around in my ear, like digging around and, and you know, this is the kind of service you get at the clinic, but a lot of people count on that shit and digging around. And finally it's like, you gotta go see a specialist. I can't help you. So I go to like a real ear doctor and he's like, yeah, so you have a benign tumor on your eardrum that has grown around and eroded all of your middle ear bones. Like everything you need to hear <laughs> was gone. 
And I had two surgeries and I got insurance before I went to the doctor. Cause I was like, if I get insurance after and they say it's pre-existing condition, I'll be screwed. I got two surgeries that cost me $2,000 out of pocket, which I did not have making $9 an hour, still working at that restaurant. Mm. I had two surgeries. I go back and then I fail the hearing test again. And at that point I was medically disqualified from joining all four branches of the military and the Coast Guard. So let's, re- let's do a quick recap. <laughs> um, went to school for four years. Great four years. Great. Uh, 200K down the toilet. Uh, at this point, pretty down, much. Down. <laughs> we go back home, do some fish frying, making $9 an hour, mm-hmm. want to join the military. And and when I found out, and they were like, you are never, you're never joining the military. You are, you are done. This is like no longer going to happen. I was still living at home. And this was probably two, two and a half years after we had graduated, right? Wow. I'm like still living at home. And at that point, I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to get an apartment. I'm going to go like be a real person. And it seems like you're in the wrong generation because- if you uh, were in the generation right bit. now, living at home is cool. I <laughs> know. <laughs> if you think about it, I mean, a lot of uh, young people now live at home and it's a cool thing. I, I don't get it, but let's go on your story. Yeah, I don't get it either. I I did it because I had to. I did not feel good about having to live at home. That was a very embarrassing thing. And so I get my own apartment and I say, okay, I'm not going to be a newscaster. I'm not going to be in the Navy. So I need a plan C and I got to figure out what that is. And I'm like, okay, let me go back to college and figure this out. And I literally tell everybody, do not go to grad school to find yourself. It's too expensive. You need to know what you were going to do for a job after you get that degree. But I didn't do that. I was like, I'm just going to go back to school, figure it out. And I got a degree in international relations. I have a master's in international relations from the University of New Hampshire. And at that point, I was like, I'm going to take this degree and I'm going to go be a foreign service officer. Like My parents met in the Peace Corps, a very international family. I was like, I'm just going to do that and go around the world and all of that stuff. And I had it all mapped out. I took all the classes. I did very well in grad school because I, I just went back to learn and I didn't give a shit about the grades. And it actually made, meant that I got better grades than I would have otherwise. And the first class that I took was public opinion, basically like polling one-on-one. You call people, ask them what they think. This is what the nation thinks based on the poll. And the professor there took a liking to me and he was like, look, you work hard, you get good grades. This is about 2006. And he says next year, the presidential campaigns are going to heat up. We're in New Hampshire. This is a very important state. A lot of campaigns are going to be hiring people. He said, don't go work for the Hillary Clinton campaign because they won't let you do anything. You should go find a startup. And that advice led me to eventually volunteering for Barack Obama. I was like, I'll go, I'll go pick a candidate. And I liked him and I liked Bill Richardson. And I remember I was in the College Democrats at the time just because I wanted to be somewhere where people were talking about that stuff and people from all the campaigns came through. They were like, oh, this is my candidate. This is why you should help us out. And I liked Bill Richardson because he was a very international guy. And like, obviously Obama, like everything about his story is my story. So I related to that a lot. And I remember I 
reached out to people from both campaigns and I was like, I want more information. The Obama campaign got back to me the next day and I never heard anything from the Richardson campaign. So I was like, all right, I like this guy. He's got a similar story. Let me go and volunteer, making phone calls, knocking doors. So I just started volunteering. First time ever in my life I'd done anything political. I, I wasn't political in college. I wasn't political after college. And I was volunteering. And at some point, someone was like, you should put in an application to work on the campaign. And I was like, I might just do that. And I remember September 15th, 2007 was the first day that I ever got paid to work in politics. That was like my political birthday, September 15th, 2007. And ever since then, it's been a wrap. So, I mean, what led you to go back to college? You had you had loans from Oof. your previous university. You're adding up more and more money. Yeah, it was debt. And yeah. then you decided to go back <laughs> to get more in debt. It was a little um, bit, a little bit of desperation. I was like, "What can I do? What am I good at? Oh, I'm good at going to school. Let me go back to school." And 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 I'm told that if I get another degree, I'll be able to get like a real job and be like a real person. And I, I to be real, I didn't even think about what I'd be paying on them damn student loans that I just paid off last year. Finally, no more student loan debt. But to be honest with you, the grad school was more expensive. It ended up being like, I think I paid like 31, 32 over the course of the loan. I didn't know what I was in for when I went back. They say you get loans, it's all good. And I was like, whatever, that's fine. So what do you um, say to people who are discouraged going through the situation you went through and they're trying to find their way in society as far as looking for jobs? Sometimes it comes down to a plan C or D or E. Life is long. Like, even if you are successful in something now, it does not mean that you cannot be successful in other things in the future or that you can define how you make money, where you live, how you value your life differently as you go along. Like, I think sometimes people bang their head against the wall because they think that they want to do a thing that they are just certain they're born to do, but they can't necessarily break into it. I mean, you see it all the time. Like, I don't care how nice you are. Ain't everybody getting drafted in the first round. And even in the first round, how many players that we went to college, like how many of them actually became good NBA or NFL players? Like good. Like maybe a couple all-stars. one. Yeah. One out of, I think one. He played for the Colts for a lot of years. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one. Yeah. Everybody else I'm thinking about? Yeah. No, two. Sorry, we had two. We have a basketball player, yeah. too. So, with that. A so couple with, football players, a couple basketball players. So, doing all this, you get hired by the campaign. Where do they station you? Like, so you've been, you've been, you so you've been back at home. Yep. You're hopping on this guy named Obama at this point. We have, you have no idea no where this idea. is going to go. Where was your first stop on the train or second stop? And I didn't, you you get there and they're like, all right, now you got to go get votes. And you're like, okay, how do I do that? Right. And I remember the first couple of days, it was like, it was like Catholic. When I go to Catholic mass with my dad, 
I don't go enough, so I don't know how things work. So I just kind of like look at everybody else to see what they're doing. And when they kneel, I kneel. And when they stand, I stand. And like, I literally did that for like a week. And my first turf, because when you, when you work in politics and you organize, you get turf, some community, some corners, whatever. And my turf was the west side of Manchester, New Hampshire, which is the biggest city uh, in the state. And I had three wards and I was supposed to get volunteers to talk to voters. And I went to the door to door and talked to voters. And I had like a certain number of voters I was trying to talk to and try to get to vote for our candidate. I went from Manchester to Columbus, Georgia. I was in Columbus, Georgia for three or four months in the campaign. I was stationed then in Waco, Texas. I was in Waco, Texas for probably two months. Now, do you know what Waco stands for? <laughs> I went out to the Branch Davidian compound. Well, it is that's like, where I'm going with that. It and and it's funny because I, we went out to the compound and they have like a little like a little church built on like where the ashes were, and it's it's weird. Inside has all the pictures that documents the whole history. Of, that it's was very David very Koresh, weird. I think. Yeah, and, and it is way out there. So a little small tidbit. I don't want to stop your story, <laughs> but I I lived in Dallas, Texas mm-hmm. during that time. And uh, I remember That's when what, that, like an hour, hour and a half north of Waco. Yep. And I remember them telling it was all on TV. Yep. And this is a sick and crude joke, but this is when <laughs> when we're back in the day. Okay. They would call what is Waco? And you're like, what is Waco? And it's called what a cookout. <laughs> if you remember what happened? That was Waco. So I get Texas. That's a whole different country i feel like it is yeah so you went from so you're a northern guy yep going to the south how were you received working in georgia it's funny Texas? How when i when i went when we went from man because basically you you went a primary and then they're like come in the next day and we'll tell you where you're gonna go and you literally pack your stuff up get in your car and drive to whatever state they tell you a lot of people at the time were going to south carolina because that was the next big primary state and and i for whatever reason i was like i hope i get georgia i hope i get georgia and they sent me down to Georgia. And I remember I got there and it's they're sending New Hampshire staff down to Georgia. They are like mostly white, right? And I'm even half white. So the whole group is mostly white. And we get there and they were like, all right, you at least sent us one person of color. We can work with this. And at first they're trying to figure out where everybody goes. And they're like, we don't know where everybody's going to go, but you are going down to Columbus. And for folks who don't know, Columbus, Georgia is right on the border with Alabama. It's where Fort Benning is. It's one of the biggest forts in the country. And it very much is like a base town. Like everybody's connected to the base in some way. And it was it was a trip because it was the first time I had ever like been in the South. It was the first time that I had ever spent a majority of my time it, around mostly black people and black people from not Atlanta, like real Georgia. Okay. okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. The backwoods. And I remember on election night, we had this little party. And the, one of my volunteers stayed up and they said, she said, you know, when they said that they were sending us somebody who was an organizer in New Hampshire, we were 98% sure that person was going to be white. And we were pleasantly surprised. I remember being like, well, you were half right. So <laughs> cut yourself a little slack. <laughs> Man, it's that I, I, Georgia was, Georgia was great because it was so different than New England. Everybody introduced themselves to each other complete strangers on the street you know we'll say hello it it was just it was different i loved i loved georgia i liked texas 
And then I also worked in Gainesville, Florida, okay. Go Gators in 2008. That's where I was on election night. I got a lot of love for Gainesville in North Florida. I was all over the country on that camp. So would you say that you utilized your skills from the first university you went to and then combine your skills with, with the new from, you mm-hmm. know, from New Hampshire mm-hmm. and how did all those combine to make you who you are right now? That's, that's a very good question because even though at this point I am not, you know, I'm not doing this. That's not my thing. I do feel like that degree was very valuable because it, I mean, you, when you did that, you like, you produced a new show. You didn't write reports. Like you produced a new show. I learned deadlines. I learned how to talk on camera. I learned how to like effectively communicate to people. I learned how to work in a high, fast paced, high intensity environment. And that, I mean, particularly in politics, that's helped me immensely because it's, you got to connect with people and it's hard because people are all types from all places and they're always skeptical and always hopeful all at the same time. And I always say like the the two things in life that prepared me the most for politics, uh, the degree I got from the university we went to, which we will not name for liability reasons, so don't sue us. (laughs) And selling credit cards on the phone in high school because that that was the worst job i ever had selling credit cards on the phone people would be like what they sold credit yeah you call people up strangers and say hey you want a credit card this is what you get if you sign up with me and that job taught me how to talk to complete strangers and try to sell them on something for a real quick cut in for people who don't understand what a man's saying over here is back in the day cell phones didn't exist nope so there was so guess what? You only had the house phone. And you had to be very wealthy to have caller ID. <laughs> so most people didn't have caller ID <laughs> back then either. So guess what? You answered that phone. Uh yeah. Regardless, because you know what? It could have been somebody, it could have been a, a classmate, it could have been a cousin, it could have yep. been an aunt or uncle. You didn't know. Yeah. So selling credit cards over the phone may sound crazy now, but back then, not too crazy because that was the lifeline of communication. And now people just don't pick up the phone, right? Like you screen your call so much better now. Back then, people would be like, how dare you call me on my phone and try to convince me to get a credit card that I clearly don't need? It was it was like the worst. <laughs> Some people were really, 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 really good at it. and They would get credit cards all day long, and I would not know how they did it. But it really prepared me for like, I mean, politics is about selling something to the people. You're trying to sell a dream, and that's hard to do. Well, I appreciate you sitting down the No Pictures at the Dark podcast. I'm um, sure this won't be your last sit down on the podcast, and um, hopefully you can come back and uh, share some of those campaign stories. Yeah, man. I think a lot of people want to know what's behind the curtain because yeah. we all we see are the people who are working out there endlessly, tirelessly, meeting people, shaking hands, kissing babies. Uh, I remember you telling me some wild stories, but we can't talk them here. But yeah, um, please, please, like, well, let's get back and talk about that. Whatever you need, you know, I got you. Because I remember we had uh, you told me a story about a couple of preachers who couldn't get passes yeah. to go see certain presidents. It's so it's interesting, mm-hmm. but but yep. uh, but we're not naming names because <laughs> we're no liability here. So there's a lot of crazy stories out mm-hmm. there, and um, 
was wondering, you, I'm glad you came A lot of tax on. liens out there, too, apparently. A lot <laughs> of tax liens. But I, I'm happy you explained to people how a lot of people don't know what they're doing or don't know where they're going with jobs now. Um, it's hard. It's very it's hard. It's competitive out there. And as you can see, you start off as one thing. You think mm-hmm. you want to be one thing, and you're really not going to be that person and you know, being something different. What did you think you would be coming out of college? If you were to say, like, when we came, when we graduated, like, if you were, like, 10 years down the road, this is what I think I'm going to be doing. Like, what would that thing have been? It probably would have been a buyer for Macy's okay. on Nordstrom's. Okay. I was heavily into retail. That was retail management was my major. Yeah. And um, I wanted to do or become a mall manager or owner. That's a lot of money in that. Yeah. Um, just so happens that I didn't go that route. And I think everything happens for a reason mm-hmm. because those industries are dying industries. I agree with that. Uh, out there, everything's been outsourced mm-hmm. for cheaper. Those jobs, I mean, if you look at retail now, it's, it's struggling. Mm-hmm. The big but the big box stores are going to going away. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, I am in a situation where I have a job that they always need me now. Yeah. And uh, it's nice to be needed. It is nice to be needed. <laughs> so that's where I would see myself. I mean, I've changed. I'm not doing, just to give the viewers, I'm not doing retail. Yeah. Nothing close to that at all. Yeah. But I am doing management stuff. So yeah. that's that. That's how life works. You start off with something and you go in a totally different direction. So, th- yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. Some people are lucky they find it early. If I think about the people we graduated with, some people found their thing early and they were really good at that thing. But for some of us, we just had to figure it out. I agree. I mean, that's how life works. Man. 20 years. 20 years. Ah. But we're signing off on the No Picks After Dark podcast. Again, Garrett, a.k.a. G-Money. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed. We'll be back with the next podcast very soon. Yeah, yeah.